Good evening. Good to be with you. I want to, uh, tonight, um, sort of bring two themes together. Um, Phil has been, in the evening services, doing a little series on wisdom. And uh, last, last time, I think, preached from Proverbs 3. That, that would have been a while ago. Oh, right, sorry. Last week. Okay. I spoke from it. Yeah, a few weeks ago. Yeah, anyway. It's We've been doing a little series on wisdom. It's a popular one. <laughs> and I, sorry, I'm not used to this heckling. I'm used to people just sitting there listening carefully. Um, and I have been doing a little series on Psalms. So I, a few weeks ago I preached on Psalm 139. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on Psalm 51. So I thought I'd bring those two themes together, the theme of wisdom and, and the Psalms. And uh, I've got a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 3. And then I want to read Psalm 8, which is known as a wisdom psalm. Um, and words that will be no doubt familiar uh, to us. So let's... Uh, Just a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. And then Psalm 8 Again, words that will be familiar to us. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky And the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, pray that you would bless these words to us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Part of the uh, difficulty, dare I say, with with scripture is that it challenges us about the big questions. Who are we? How did we get here? Why are we here? The big questions of value and purpose, of origin and destiny. I've had over the years several conversations with people who actually refuse to believe in God. Because if they even came to some degree of belief, it would mean that they have to take seriously 
the truth of Scripture. And that would mean that everything they believed about themselves and their lives would be challenged. And they don't want that. They really don't want that. They don't want to be challenged about where they're at. It's often those big questions where the starkest contrast comes between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And it does seem um, to us, um, but I suspect it's seemed similar in previous generations, that the gap seems to get wider and wider. The prevailing uh, so-called postmodern view about the big questions are A, that we live in a world and in a universe that happened by chance and has no purpose. Uh, a well-renowned science, um, atheistic scientist made this comment. He said, who are we? We find that we live on an insignificant planet on, on the hum, of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of the universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. He went on to say, there's nothing outside the universe. There is no God or any other supernatural being. The universe just happened by chance and there is no purpose. B, the world says you are a person that just happened by chance without any purpose. You are a complex machine. Your personality is the result of chemical and physical properties interrelating in a way that we don't fully understand. You are just physical matter. You do not transcend the universe in any way. There are no eternal values. Values are created by human beings. You have no value in and of yourself. And if that's true, therefore, truth and morality become situational. What is moral or immoral depends upon the circumstances and who is involved. The good, the true, the perfect exist only as things that help our human species survive. Death earns, ends everything. There is no heaven, no hell. There is nothing. That's the prevailing view. And thirdly, see, your personal value is what society gives you. You have no value in of yourselves. You have to prove that you have some value to the world. The alternative is to retreat into some inner self, to live in some kind of fantasy world, or pretend to be someone else to find your value and purpose. Those are the sort of prevailing things of our postmodern world. Those are often the values that lie behind much of the, the film and the drama that we see. That's, that's where people are at. That's their view. that we have no value, that we are just here by accident, by chance. Some people find they spend their life looking for some kind of value and purpose. Some believe it's in a job, some believe it's in their appearance, some believe it might be um, in what they do. Some believe it's in their wealth. We're all searching for that value and purpose. Perhaps young people go along 
with a gang because that gives them that value, that purpose. Some years ago, Peter Sellers, whom some of you will remember, was on The Muppet Show. And he was interviewed by Kermit the Frog. (laughs) And Kermit the Frog, at the beginning of his interview, said to him, Peter, I want you just to relax and be yourself. To which Sellers responded, he couldn't be himself because he didn't know who he was. He said, the real Peter Sellers didn't exist. So it's rather sad, isn't it? When you don't know who you are. You don't know what your purpose is. One of his lifetime friends commenting on those words said that Sellers had become an amalgamation of all the stage and screen's characters that he ever played and never found himself. I'm sure that many in our world go through life wondering who they are, what they're supposed to be, where they're going, looking for value and purpose. If you believe that personally you have no purpose, that you are here by chance through some evolutionary process that has no purpose, that you're some mere speck on a vast, impersonal, meaningless universe, would you think that you've had a purpose? I don't think you would. No wonder we have a mental health epidemic. We lack wisdom. Because God's wisdom has a very different perspective. And Psalm 8 calls us to that wisdom, calls us to that true perspective as it examines the worth of a human being in the eyes of God. And the psalm starts with a bold declaration about God. The first and the last verse say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When Whenever words are translated um, in scripture, uh, sorry, whenever words are repeated in scripture, it means that they are, there's some reason for it. The phrase, O Lord, our Lord, might seem repetitive uh, to us. But as we read it, perhaps if you look in your Bible, the first Lord is in capital letters. Because that's the way the translators translate the word Yahweh. The God who is. I am who I am. Remember when Moses appeared at the burning bush and said to God, who are you? He says, I am who I am, Yahweh. He is not just created, he is. The second word for Lord is just has a capital L. And that comes from the Hebrew word Adonai, which means master or ruler. In the, in the Anglican Psalter that uh, we use for morning and evening prayer, the line is translated, O Lord, our governor. And when, uh, when I was at college, my friends used to take great delight. They called it the Cockney Psalm because they would, they would stop and they would listen to me say, O Lord, our governor. Our Lord, our Lord. The first Lord is the name 
and the second Lord is the title. David is saying, Yahweh, you are our master. God is over all, and his name, his character, his being deserves to be praised and worshipped across the whole creation. That's the heart of this psalm. That's the wisdom of this psalm. That God is great. And his greatness, his wisdom can be seen in the whole creation. No matter what role we find for humanity here, everything we have, everything comes from God, our master who is praised. And David then gives a couple of reasons why God deserves such praise. First, he points to the glory of creation. You have set the glory above the heavens. And then in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, you have set in place. God is revealed through his creation. It's a wonderful poetic, isn't it? The idea of God setting the stars in place with his finger. I'll put one there. And we'll put one there. You know, that's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Of of the God. And it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Ever since the world, God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made, Paul says in Romans 1.20. Psalm 19, how clearly the sky reveals God's glory, how plainly it shows what he has done. Each day announces it to the following day, each night repeats it to the next. You can just imagine the older David thinking back to the time as a young young man when he was out in the fields looking after the sheep, you know, staring up, laying down, staring up into the sky and seeing the wonder of creation around him of the work of God, of the wisdom of God in which we are set. There's a, an occasion when uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were camping and in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes Watson up and he says, Watson, look at the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson replies, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes said, well, what does that tell you? He said, well, if there are millions and millions of stars, then there really are other star systems, which is quite likely that there's some other Earth-like planets out there. And if there's such a planet, there might exist life as well. And Holmes interrupted him and said, you're an idiot. What it tells you is that somebody has stolen our tent. David didn't let a tent block his view of the starry sky. He saw this amazing creation. He saw the incredible size of it. The wonder of it. I've been, uh, I've been reading a book. <laughs> I do this from time to time. And uh, there's a book called Cosmic Chemistry, written by a, uh, uh, a guy who's um, 
John Lennox, who, who's written quite a lot. He's an emeritus professor of mathematics in Oxford, and, uh, and he, he's written, this, this book is about the sort of, um, the, the idea that science hasn't killed faith. You know, that actually, science tells us much more. And uh, um, he, he wrote another book, which is a bit thinner, called Can, Can Science Explain Everything? You might, if, you, if you're interested in that sort of science versus faith thing, then you, you might uh, be interested in that. But uh, in, in the book, he, he says this about how the wonder of the world that we should be here. Um, and he says, uh, for the world to be as it is and for life to exist as it does is a very sort of um, small sort of corridor of possibility that all these things have to come together in a certain way for the thing to happen. Um, he, tell, he tells us that if the, radio, the ratio is... Um, is the ratio of a strong nuclear force to the net electromagnetic force have been the difference from one to ten? No star could have been no star could have been formed. So, if it had been slightly different, then a star couldn't be formed. If things had been slightly different, Earth uh, could not have happened, and the gravity could not be here, and life could not be formed. Only a small possibility of chance. And so, I say, this, this idea that somehow this happened quite randomly, he says this. For the world to exist as it is, is the same chance that a marksman would need to hit a coin on the far side of the observable universe 20 million light years away. If we find that difficult to imagine... A further illustration suggested by an astrophysicist may help. He said, cover America with coins in a column reaching to the moon, 38,000 kilometres or 236 miles away, then do the same for a billion other continents of the same size, paint one coin red and put it somewhere in one of the billion piles, blindfold a friend and ask them to pick it out. The odds of the world being as it is are the same. And we're told this all happened randomly. That doesn't make sense, does it? The wonder of our world tells us that God is at work, that God brought this into being. It couldn't happen any other way. It couldn't happen any other way. Certainly we know much more about the stars now than, than David did. Yet the more we know, the more we should be amazed. Whether we're in awe of creation, whether it be the night sky or a rainbow or, or a sunrise. It tells us of the greatness of God. It tells us about the God, the wonder of the, the creator who made this happen. Maybe David's son Solomon would have remembered uh, speaking to his dad about it when, uh, when, the, when he built the temple. When he dedicated, he prayed, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple 
I have built. The wonder of what God has done. God is great because the universe is great. It tells us the greatness of God. Just the bit we can see tells us of the greatness of God. But then the psalm tells us another reason. He says in verse 2, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because you've your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. First we see in that, in that verse a couple of things. First that God has enemies, people and angels who do not praise God, who do not give credit to God for the glory of the universe, but want to take it for themselves. But then David says a curious thing. He says that God takes the praise of babies and infants to silence them. Sounds ludicrous. You know, babies are pretty helpless creatures. But David is trying to say, look, you need to understand this in the sense that even the, even the weakest of things can tell us of the greatness of God. Jesus chose to quote the verse in, on Palm Sunday when he was entering the temple in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and, and uh, all that was going on and some children began joining their parents in worshipping the God, uh, God Jesus as the son of David. And some people, some of the religious leaders complained and said to Jesus, don't you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus just says, yes I do. Yes, I hear them. I'm not going to correct them because what they're saying is true. And interestingly, the conversation ends. Almost a fulfillment of the psalm's promise. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. They were silenced by the witness of these children. But then, at the heart of this psalm comes the key question. Having laid out, said, Lord, you are majestic, and your creation just tells us of your wonder and your majesty and your greatness. And then he says, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? The human being that you care for them. The word mindful there is to remember why, why God are you, we so important that you might remember us, that you care for us. Again, many people struggle with that thought that God would care for them. Some people believe genuinely that God could never love them or care for them. And yet here it is. God chooses to love us, to cast his favour upon us. Our self-esteem, our value, our purpose doesn't come from ourselves. It's not given to us by somebody else. It's given to us by God who finds value, who chooses to love you. A famous theologian, Helmut Tillichus, wrote, God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. No matter what we face, God remembers us. 
Even though he is majestic Lord of the universe, he is mindful of us. He is mindful of you. He is mindful of me. And so as I conclude, there are three things that we can draw from this. Firstly, because of creation, we have value and purpose. Not what the world says. The universe is no accident. And because of that, we have value and purpose. Because not only does God love us, but he entrusts the task, a special task for us. David goes on to talk about how God created human beings just a little lower than the heavenly beings and puts us in charge of creation. And David is in awe that we should be elevated to such a level of responsibility to entrust all the creation to us. It's amazing when we think of it. It goes back to Genesis 1. God created mankind in his own image that we might rule over the earth. There's always one. There's always one. It's all right, yeah. There are worse worse ones. I won't play you my... Perhaps I will one day. I'll I'll play you my um, mobile um, charm. Anyway, where was I? Yeah, God has, has... elevated us to this important status this, this purpose in life you know and so that's why we should be really sad when we let him down you know, we, that's why we're really upset when we see the destruction and the evil in, in Ukraine at this time why we should be really concerned about the environmental issues because God has given us that purpose When I look at the sky which you have made, at the moon and the stars which you set in their places, what are human beings that you think of them, the immortals that you care for them? You appointed them rulers over everything you made. You placed them over all creation, sheep and cattle and the wild animals too, the birds and the fish and the creatures of the sea. We have value because of where we sit in relation to this wonderful creation of God. God created an orderly universe out of nothing and he constantly, he's constantly involved in the ongoing operation of that universe and he puts us right at the heart of it. Right at the heart of it. Secondly, we have value and purpose because we bear God's image. God built us with the capacity to know him. We could see him and see the evidence for him in all that is around us. We know We can't know everything about God, but God reveals himself to us. His wisdom to us in relation through the scripture and the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we have value and purpose because of Jesus. The clearest evidence that God cares for us, that God is mindful of us, is that he sent Jesus, his son, to die for us. The love of God isn't some distant, oh well, 
What a shame you've got yourselves into a mess. Never mind. It's a God who says, I love you. And I want to do something about that. I see the mess you got into. But I want to do something about that. I'm not going to sit in the clouds, play my harp. <laughs> I'm going to come to the earth, die on a cross. That's how mindful God is of us. That's why we have value. God values us that much that he sent Jesus to die for us. And the psalm carries that prophetic hope of future fulfilment. One day, it will all be put right. Someday, there will be beauty again. All will be right with the world and all will be right with the relationship between the creator and the created. We have little glimpses of that from time to time. Little glimpses of the beauty and harmony that really is the purposes of God. Paul and the, the writer of the Hebrews both point to Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 8. Jesus made himself a little lower than the heavenly beings to become one of us, to die on a cross and to be raised on the third day, overcoming sin and death for good. So we can say with David, Yahweh, our master, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And say that knowing that in his creation, he has set us and he loves us and we are called to serve him. Through that psalm, through the wisdom of God, we say no to a world that strips us of value and purpose. And we say yes to all that God has for us in the wisdom of God. Let's pray.